0: Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. I'm going to read it in the best prophet voice that I have. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. I think that was my cue. Silence. For some of us, it's kind of unbearable. Sometimes for some of us, it's what we require to go to sleep. I think I could have gone to sleep there in that moment, because my children like to not sleep. Silence. Sometimes it gets awkward especially in those unplanned moments of silence. I I heard a lot of rustling of pages. I actually didn't look and see what you were doing, but I assume you're probably like, okay, this must be some cool sermon illustration he's going to do. That was a minute and a half. Could you imagine 400 years of that? A minute and a half of silence. 400 years of silence. Silence. You see, in most of our Bibles, when we open the book, and this was Malachi, the last prophet of the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament, when we turn that beautiful page and it says, the New Testament, or you turn that page and it says, the book of Matthew, you see Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, we don't realize it, but in that turn of the page, there are 400 years that happen. 400 years go by in one swift move of a page. Those, those years, those 400 years, are referred to as the intertestamental period. Whoa. Because they're between two testaments. The Old Testament and the New Testament. is called the intertestamental period. Often referred to as the 400 years of silence or the silent years. They're referred to as the silent years because... When Malachi said those words that we just read, there was not another prophet who spoke. And you remember, as we learned several weeks back, pro- prophets were the voice of God. So if there's no prophet speaking, that means God's voice was absent. Hence the name, the silent years. 400 years of Silence. The truth is, though, these years were anything but silent years. You see, God may not have been speaking through his prophets, but his silence doesn't mean he was inactive. Because our God is always moving, he's always doing something, he's always building something and and reminding us that he is here. He, He didn't just create the world to set it in motion and go, but he is involved, he's a part of our lives, he's a part of the of the very thing he made and created. And that's exactly what he was doing for those 400 years in that one tiny little turn of a page. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Galatians 4.4, and this is is going to be our theme verse for the day. Galatians 4.4, but when the set time had fully come, and that portion right there, the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. That time had fully come. So today's going to be a different kind of day. Today's going to be a different kind of of sermon, Um, and, and this is the last time I'm going to apologize for it, okay? Today is going to be very, very informational okay? We're going to be talking about these 400 years and what God was doing within these 400 years. But I want to just say, in this time, there's a reason we're doing this. There's a reason that that I'm going to be talking about these 400 years, because when we turn the page and we're in the New Testament, we may not see it in in our Bible, but in, in the actual languages that they're originally written in, you don't notice it here, but you go from Hebrew to Greek. There's a whole language shift. People are speaking Greek, not Hebrew. The Jews are speaking Greek, not Hebrew. There's, there's, there's these people like Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and the Sanhedrin that, that are talked about. Like, Where did they come from? Because there's no mention of them in the Old Testament. This empire called Rome is in control. Did they just... Happen to be in control, because here in Malachi, it's the Persians who are controlling. Everything is different with one turn of the page, because a lot happens in 400 years. But here's my challenge to you today. If you stick with me, if you gather this knowledge... And as we move into the New Testament and, and, this, and this story and this grand narrative of God, as we, we take the move from the Old Testament and the New Testament next week, I believe your perspective of reading the New Testament will change forever. Because there's some amazing things that happen in this 400 years that shape the tone. Because God was setting up a perfect time for Jesus to come into the world. So how did he do that? Well, let's pray, and then we'll jump into it. So God, today, this is your day. And just like you used the 400 years as a time of preparation for the the Jews to welcome in Jesus, for the world to welcome in Jesus, I pray that you use today as a time of preparation for us, as we as a church have been studying the entire Bible, as we are making this shift from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Use this day as a time of preparation for the awaited King, the coming Savior, the one we are longing for, the King of Heaven to come down. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I want to speak to you in in mainly two major points today, okay? We're going to talk about the land of Israel. We're going to talk about how, how Israel... Um, was controlled by a lot of different empires and a lot of different groups, okay? That's going to be the, the main thrust of what we're talking about. But within that, we're also going to be talking about the religion of Judaism, all right? There's this religion that the that, that Jews believe is called Judaism, and, and there's some uprisings and some factions that happened during this time, all setting the stage for Jesus to enter the world. So let's start with the land of Israel. And to do that, we need to recap. So, last time I was up here preaching, I talked about the fall of Judah. You remember, there's Nebuchadnezzar, and he was outside the walls of Jerusalem, and he was about to come in and overtake Jerusalem. And then God declares through his prophets listen, all you have to do is just surrender yourselves. Surrender yourselves to Nebuchadnezzar, to, to the Babylonians, and they will pick you up and they will take you to their land. And you can, you can become my people and, and still be my people there, though I'm taking you out of your land. And, and I liken that to the idea of North Korea, a hypothetical situation here. Imagine if North Korea, our enemies, were at our doorsteps and they were about to overtake us. And, and, and the only way that we could survive is if we said, all right, I surrender and they pick us up and take us to North Korea. They pick us up and they take us away from our land. And, th- and then we establish ourselves in that land. That is where we are beginning this whole, whole talk today. Because something major happened in that moment. You see, the Jews, they were picked up out of their homeland and they were put in, in the empire of Babylon. And they were spread throughout the, the known world. And as more empires came, they became more and more spread out. They had these little factions of Jews that would take camp in Babylon or, or Corinth or, or Philippi. And, 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 and even in Rome at, at one point, these, these, these factions would, would find themselves in these places all over the world. It's significant. And we'll get to why it's significant as we talk about this next empire. You see, the Babylonians, they didn't, they didn't last forever. There's another empire that came in and defeated them. They're called the Persians. And we we learn about the Persians from from, um, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. We just went through those three books of the Bible. And and, and King Cyrus, he comes in, and as a Persian, he, he does something huge. The very first decree he makes for Jews is to say, guess what? You can go home. You've been camped up in in the Babylonian Empire. I want you to go home. Get out of here. So, 40 to 50,000 Jews up and leave and go back to the land of Israel. Still, that's not all the Jews. So, there's still factions all over the known world. But here are this this huge, massive group of 40 to 50,000 people who come and take, take up their home in the promised land. Now, as I said, there are going to be some very key things that I want you to take out of today. And each empire is going to bring you something new, something that that is key for us in understanding this appointed time that God had for Jesus. For the Persian Empire, you'll see it here. The key influence was freedom of religion. What they brought to to the Jewish nation, what they brought to um, the world was this idea of freedom of religion. You see, if during the time of the Babylonians, they had destroyed the temple. Remember Ezra? He came back to rebuild the temple. Nehemiah, he came back to build the walls around Jerusalem. The temple was destroyed. So how did they worship God? How could one worship God when the only place you could make sacrifices and and repay for your sin was in the temple? How do you do that? Well, these interesting little places started popping up all over the world in Jewish communities. They were called synagogues. Synagogues started popping up all around. Because in these synagogues, what they were was a place for the people where people can go, Jews can go, and they can study Scripture. They can dive in, and they can focus on a righteous kind of living because, you know, the more righteous you are, the less sacrifices you have to make, right? And, and that means you don't have to go back to the temple to make sacrifices. You could just do it. You could just be in your hometown and live this righteous way of living. So this mindset came with the forty to 50,000 people that came back To the land of Israel. This mindset that, hey, I can worship God anywhere. I don't have to be in the temple to worship God. I can do it anywhere. I can do it in a synagogue. I can do it at home when I'm praying. There's this whole new mindset of how to worship God. And we can thank the Persian Empire for that. But the Persians, they they also didn't last forever. Anyone ever heard of Alexander the Great? Alexander the Great? Yeah. He was pretty influential because he took the Greek Empire and he came through from Greece and just started wiping everything out. All the way over, even into like Asia. He started wiping out all these nations and he took over pretty much all the control of the Persian Empire. And included in that was the nation of Israel. So Alexander the Great, he didn't he didn't really live that long. He he only ruled very, very short time over Israel. But he passed it on to the Greeks, and the Greeks continued to rule for about 160 years. And and through those 160 years, the livelihood of the Jews was actually pretty good. They were flourishing under under this new empire, this new regime. And mainly because the Greeks introduced this cool little thing called Hellenism. Now, my students over here, all right, those of you in school who have history and maybe have been learning about some Western civilization, maybe, maybe you college students who've been learning Western civilization, anyone ever heard of Hellenism? In here? Yes? I like you guys. Thank you. Hellenism. So essentially what it is, is it's the imposition of Greek thought. Greek thought, it's the Greeks saying, this is how you need to think, how you need to act, how you need to govern. And so they're bringing in this this whole new set of systems. But the most key influential thing that they brought, and you'll see it right up here, was a common language. The Greeks brought a language. That everyone spoke. Now, here's the significant part of that. Let's fast forward all the way to the point of, of Jesus, he, he goes into heaven, and the early church is starting, and, and there's, there, there's this message they have to get out. This message of hope, this message that there's a savior who came to, to change the world. How is it that they get it out? Through a common language. Everyone spoke Greek. Thank you, the Greek Empire, thank you, Alexander the Great, for giving us that, because it's through that, that, that language that the, the message of Christ was spread throughout the known world. Now, it says the Septuagint up there. We'll briefly just hit that, okay? The Septuagint, the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, right? Okay? Um, this is what happened. They thought it'd be really good to get the, the, the message of, of the Old Testament to the people because they're speaking Greek now. So what they did is they took the Old Testament and translated it into Greek. Now the reason I bring that up is because as we move into the New Testament, there are times that Jesus is going to quote the Old Testament. There are times that Paul is going to quote the Old Testament or Peter or Paul. I just said Paul twice. They're going to quote the Old Testament and nine times out of ten when they quote the Old Testament, they're not quoting the Hebrew version they're quoting the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament. Now, why is this significant? When I'm reading, I'll look and, and, and I'll see a reference that says, "Oh, this is this is Hezekiah 4:3." There's no Hezekiah. Just kidding. This this is uh, Habakkuk 4:3. And so you go back and you look Habakkuk 4:3. Wait, these these don't sound the same. These are different. The reason is is because it's translated from Greek. Okay. It's enough about the Septuagint. I don't expect you to remember that. Just remember, there's a common language. Greek is the common language. Well, the Greek rule came to a point where where near the end, it wasn't so free, but it was more oppressive. And and, and the person who was in charge, the person who was ruling over the Greek empire, Israel specifically, he wanted to eradicate Judaism. Judaism. So he, he started, he started um, taking away the rights of Jews. He, he wanted to destroy every copy of the Old Testament or, or their, their Bible, the Hebrew Bible. He wanted to destroy it. And so uh, along with that, he wouldn't allow them to make sacrifices in the temple. And he forced them to worship the Greek god of Zeus. You can imagine this, that there were some who were just not okay with this. There there was a a father and his five sons in particular that were definitely not okay with this. Um, The father's name was Matthias, and he had five sons. Judas Maccabeus, Jonathan, Simon, John, and Eleazar. This is around 165 BC. So these five sons and their dad start an uprising against the Greek Empire. They start fighting and revolting against the Greek Empire because they were not going to take it. And actually something pretty cool happens out of this. The Maccabean reign. You see, they actually overcome their Greek Empire. Israel is now in control of itself. And here's here's the interesting part. That happens from 165 B.C. to 63 B.C., okay? Okay? As the last time that Israel is its own ruler until 1948 when the state of Israel was formed. 63 BC all the way to 1948. That's a long time. Anyone ever heard of Hanukkah? Hanukkah is the Jewish tradition, the Jewish celebration of the Maccabean Revolt. of of the fact that the Jews were were given power. And here's the key influence of that time. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There was this rejuvenation after all these empires were were trying to shove these different religions and these different gods upon the Jews this was what they went back to god is one we worship one god and then even even greater than that is there was this arising of a hope in a messiah think about it if you're this tiny little nation and you've been you've been under the control of, of the assyrians and the ba- babylonians and, and and you've been under control of 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 the the persians and and now the, the Greeks, for hundreds and hundreds of years, here you are finally have freedom, and it's God who did it for you. So God must truly think that there's something great about this nation. We are his chosen people, so something good has to come out of that. And so there's this belief that, that one day will arise a Messiah who will not only give us our own little nation, but our nation will grow and grow and grow like this, these other big empires, and we will finally take over the world. This Messiah will come down and he will part the heavens and he will, he will declare to our enemies that I am God and these are my people and we will rule forever. That sounds pretty awesome. But that's not totally what happened because 63 B.C. happens and there's this little place called Rome that ends up being this humongous empire if if you were to look at a map and you looked at the Mediterranean Sea the Roman Empire pretty much encases all the way around the Mediterranean Sea this is the biggest empire the world has ever known and they come in and they would come and, and take control over most of the known world They sought for Pax Romana, which just means Roman peace. They wanted peace because it makes sense. There's this huge empire, and there's all these nations that are a part of this huge empire, but these nations, they were always fighting each other. They are always battling against each other. And here's this huge empire that's coming in and trying to unite all these nations. How do they do it? Through Pax Romana, bringing Roman peace They took some of the thoughts of Greek, some of this idea of Hellenism. They kept the common language of Greek, which was a smart move. And, and, and they, they kept, um, sorry, <laughs> they had the common language of Greek. They would allow freedom of worship. They instituted this thing called Roman law, which if nations pay their taxes and didn't raise any eyebrows, like they weren't going to be revolting or anything, they appointed nationalists to control the, the, the governing body of, of, of whatever place it was. So, for instance, in Roman times, in, in this, the town of Judea. Oh, yeah, by the way, it's named Judea. It's not Judah anymore. The Romans wanted to call it Judea. In Judea, there was this governing body called the Sanhedrin. You'll hear about them when we get to the point of Jesus being, being put on trial. The Sanhedrin, they're the governing, rule, uh, ruling body that, uh, this, that, that decided all civil disputes and judged over all religious disputes. They were the ones who made, made the laws. Thus, Jesus enters the scene during this Roman time. But this most significant piece, this key influence from the Romans, are their roads. Now you might be thinking, why? Why roads? What's so influential about that? Well, with the roads, you have a way to travel faster. So again, fast forward to the time when, when, when the early church is starting and, and Paul needs to get to Corinth where there's a, a Jewish sect there. Well, Paul has a way to get there now, a way to travel faster. And he has a common language in which he can tell people about this this coming, this king who has come and changed the world forever. And and so we're here in Roman rule. And Jesus enters the world. God had established that, that worshiping didn't have to be in one place. You could use synagogues. From, from, from different, wherever you are, you can worship God. It didn't matter if you were in Rome, Philippi, Corinth, or Jerusalem. You can worship from a synagogue. It was through these synagogues, placed throughout the world, that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be spread. You see, so there's factions of Jews all around. There's this freedom of religion that's been established. And, and, and Jesus... And his message that, that was carried on from Paul and Peter and, and all the apostles, it was able to travel, they were able to travel on roads using a common language and they would go to synagogues and they would tell Jews about Jesus and what he did. And from there it would spread out because people would, would believe and they would go from there. And so they'd go to another, another city and, and they would go to the synagogue and they would talk about Jesus there and then it would go out from there. And this is all fine and dandy. This is all great information. But there's one other piece that we really need to hit. And that's the piece of religion. Because you see, it wasn't all easy going during this time. Especially with the religion of Judaism. So you have a temple and you have a synagogue. The temples... The temple area, and those who worked in the temple, the the priests, they were influenced very heavily by outside sources. They were influenced heavily by by the Greek empire and Hellenism. They wanted Greek to be the language they spoke, hence they they got the the Septuagint. They wanted wanted Hellenization to come in and change them. And so in, in in the temple, there were these people called the Sadducees, Anyone ever heard of the Sadducees? They're, they're these people that rise up in, in the New Testament that we see. They're the Sadducees, and, and they were made up of priests. And these priests, they, they, um, they want, welcomed in this thought, this Greek thought, this, this new change, this new mold. And, and that, that it all comes to a head when, when we see Jesus in the temple, Jesus comes to the temple and he overturns tables. That's that's what it ended up doing. It it created the the, the temple as a place of business rather than a place of worship. It's a place where business was conducted. On the other hand, you have the synagogues. And and those who worked in the synagogues were these guys named Pharisees. So you have the Sadducees who worked in the temple and you had the Pharisees who worked in the synagogues. The Pharisees, they were the people's people because the synagogues were for the people. And so the Pharisees, they were smart. They were educated. They fought for the poor and gave them the things that they needed. So you you, you could see that that there's this uprising between two different factions. You have the temple and the Sadducees and, and you have the synagogues and you have the Pharisees. And they don't like each other. Because the Sadducees, they're they're in it, they're in it to get the money, they're in it to get to get to get things out of it. They 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 want to to appease the empire that, that is around them. And then you have the Pharisees who are like, no, we are Jews, we will always be Jews, and we are always God's chosen people, and there's nothing that can change that. Hebrew, 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 Hebrew. And so these these two factions, they they are rising and they become the voice, the voices of of of, of pretty much God in that time. There were no prophets to speak his words, so they became their voices and these are the people that, that these are the, the, the ones that the people of Israel looked to for guidance and wisdom and this is the world in which Jesus comes and enters in of, of of rule being taken over. There's, there's, no, there's no independence except for this small little period of about 100 years. They're longing and they're awaiting this Messiah to come and, 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 and rectify the situation, make everything right again, make Israel God's chosen people once again to, sit on, on the, to have God sit on his throne and them to sit next to him and to rule over the world. That's what they were looking for. And you have these two factions of, 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 of people rising up, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and, they're, and they're, they're fighting each other, they're combating each other, they're debating each other, trying to, to draw more and more people to their side to agree with them. You have the rich and you have the poor. You have those seeking for money and those seeking for for a right way of living. Then comes Jesus. And how does he fit into this puzzle? How does he fit? Because God obviously said, this is the appointed time. These are the things that I established, that I made happen, to make it the appropriate time for Jesus to come. So as you can see, though these 400 years were called the silent years, they were anything but silent. You have wars where the exchanging of land of Israel between empires happened over and over again. You have revolts and and violence that, that led to an unexpected season of independence, You have two political religious systems that were being established and battling for grounds, uh, for righteous grounds. All paving the way for what God was about to do. You See, what we're talking about today may not impact us right now as we dive into the New Testament, as we dive in to, to Jesus entering the world, we will see what, what God was talking about in Galatians 4, or what, what Paul was talking about in Galatians 4.4. 4. That when the time had fully come, God sent his son. You see, God wasn't speaking. But that doesn't mean he wasn't moving. He was building And allowing the world for that time which had fully come where God sent his son. And then one night, lying in a manger, the world heard the voice of God once again. For 400 years, they had not heard God speak. But here we are, with a baby and a manger, and God's voice speaks. Not as this king whose voice is booming and parting the skies and coming to declare righteous rule, but as the voice of a tiny child. The humblest of humanity. It was Jesus Christ. God and man colliding to change the world forever. As the worship team comes up, let's pray.